tonight as we're going to look again in God's Word. We're still addressing the subject of how God grows the church or how He grew the early church as we're looking back in the New Testament in the book of Acts and even over in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 together. And we've seen that God was growing the church through the true professions of faith. We've seen that he's growing the church providentially. As he's working in the lives of the people and how he's working things out. And tonight as we come to his word, I want us to see that God also uses persecution to grow the church. You know, there's a saying that says, the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. And what is meant by that is, is that the church grows through persecution. God uses persecution, the persecuting of the church, to, to grow the church either through more professions of faith or just by growing those who are already believers in their faith, growing them spiritually. And so as we're going to look at that tonight... You might be interested to know that even in t- today in which we live, there is at least 100 million Christians in the world that are facing persecution. By persecution, I mean some type of physical persecution of either being beaten, imprisoned, or the threat of death upon their life. In fact, one of the places where the church, the true church, is growing the fastest in all the world is in Iran. And what's interesting about that is that Iran has, since the late 70s, in 1979, when the hard uh, Islamic regime came in, they began to crack down on Christians, and there really weren't that many Christians in Iran at that time. And one of the ways, some of the ways they cracked down upon them, they began to ban the Bible in their language. Uh, They began to imprison Christians and beat them. They killed some of their pastors and some of their leaders. Uh, They began to close down some of the churches that were there. And all along the way as they did this, actually more of those from a Muslim background were turning to Christ. It went from an estimated of around 500 Christians from a Muslim background around the late 1970s to now an estimated hundreds of thousands that have come to Christ. As we think about this and we think about the day and time in which we live, that's not to say that persecution is always going to lead to numerical growth in that that you're going to see always more people saved at that moment in time as persecution is happening. But we can know that one thing that persecution will do is it will bring spiritual growth for God's people. It will refine their faith. And what I find interesting, as I've mentioned this to you before, is that over in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, where Jesus was addressing those seven local churches, remember there were two of them that he had nothing but positive things to say. He didn't have anything against them at all. And we even looked at them last time to show that even among those two, they were probably the two smallest churches of the seven that he addressed. But also, those two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, 
were the two churches of those seven that was facing the most severe persecution. They were, in fact, Smyrna was facing such persecution that Jesus even warned them that in the next so many days, some of you are going to die for your faith. But he said, just remain steadfast. Continue to trust me. Continue to follow me. You look at the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus seems to have been filled with believers. And it did have a problem there that Jesus spoke to. They had, a, they had lost their first love. But one of the things he commended them for is for their perseverance in his name. That is, because they were facing persecution, they were standing firm in their faith and their trust in Christ and not denying the name of Jesus. So when you think about it, Smyrna and Philadelphia... Churches filled with believers. The church at Ephesus facing persecution filled with believers. You could go over and look at the church at Pergamum that he speaks about there that was filled with mostly believers. And they were facing persecution as well. It's interesting when you look at the three churches where there's really no mentioning of persecution upon them, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea. And those were the three churches that were struggling the most spiritually. In fact, what's interesting about them is when you look at the church at Thyatira that was facing little to no persecution at the time, they had some believers. They had mostly unbelievers that were a part of the church. When you looked at the church there at Sardis, they only had a few people that were believers The majority, well over the majority, were unbelievers that were in the church. And then obviously you look at the church at Laodicea, that Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold, I just spit you out of my mouth. And remember he talks about being outside of the church, knocking on the door of the church because Jesus wasn't in the church, because there weren't believers that were there in the church. And this church that saw itself as being rich and filled with all these things was actually filled with unbelievers. And we would understand that because when persecution really comes against the church, those that would not be true believers would really want to have little to do with it if it's going to cost them dearly, and especially if it was going to cost them their life. But tonight, we're going to go back primarily to the book of Acts. And I want us to see tonight that God, how God used persecution to grow the church. He used it to grow the church in the true professions of faith and he used it to strengthen those churches and to strengthen those believers to refine their faith. So what we're going to look at tonight is what I call the reality of persecution against the church and then the results of persecution against the church. And next Sunday night, Lord willing, when we come together, I want us to come back to this subject of persecution. Because I want us to see the reason why it is God's people have been, are, and will be persecuted. And then I want us to see the the way in which they go about bringing about this persecution. And then I want us to see what should be our response Because, beloved, we here as Christians, even here in the United States, persecution is slowly drifting in. And it's going to get worse as time goes unless God brings a true, genuine revival to our nation. 
So let's look and go to Acts chapter 4 to begin tonight. Now tonight we're going to be moving around. It's kind of you almost be a survey on the topic of persecution. If you remember, Acts chapter 2 is where the church begins. In Acts chapter 4, we see persecution seems to very to come upon the church immediately. It comes to Peter and John. Peter and John have healed a lame beggar. Peter has stood up and began to preach. And we find in the opening verse of chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And here's the first form of persecution. They laid hands on them, which means, beloved, they arrested them. They seized them. And they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. So we see persecution here coming against the church. And what they don't want to happen is they don't want this message that they're preaching to continue to spread. You see, beloved, if we as Christians keep our mouths shut, we won't face persecution. And we're going to see that next week when we're together and see reasons why persecution comes. Because notice, they are greatly disturbed there in verse 2 because they're teaching the people and they're proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now you have to remember where this is happening. This is happening in and around the temple. This is happening right there. This would be somewhat similar to someone going today to a mosque and standing up and saying, I'm here to preach to you Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior. He's the only Savior. And you need to repent of your sins, repent of your false religion, and you need to put your faith in Christ alone. And so there's, they're upset about this and so what they're wanting to happen we look over in verse 17 they're saying but so that it will not spread any further among the people they're wanting to shut down what they're preaching and what they're teaching in verse 21 they threatened them further and then they let them go and this is the reality of the persecution that comes against the church at the beginning and what was the result What was the result of this persecution? Look down, if you will, in verse 29. And now, Lord, these are the believers who've been released. They come back together with the other believers. They're gathered there together. They're praising God. They're praying to God. And here they're petitioning God in verse 29, saying, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders to take place in the name of your, your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had been gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. That was the result of the persecution. The persecution had actually led them to go in prayer to God to be emboldened to keep going out and preaching about Jesus. They were threatened, do not speak about Jesus anymore. We don't want to hear the name Jesus around here anymore. And they go to God and say, God embolden us to speak about Jesus. We want to keep moving forward. So persecution didn't stop the church. It strengthened the church here. 
Look over in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we find that they are, Peter and John are again arrested. You look down in verse uh, 17 of chapter 5. The high priest rose up along with all of his associates that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And there's that phrase again. You're going to see it on more than one occasion in the book of Acts. They laid hands on them. They laid hands on the apostles, and they put them in a public jail. So this is the reality, again, of the persecution that is coming against them. And notice what they said. Go down to verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Which tells you again, God had answered their prayer. They prayed, God, take note of their threat and give us the boldness to go out and keep speaking about Jesus. And clearly that's what they did because the high priest stands up and says, we gave you strict orders not to continue to speak in this man's name and you're filling Jerusalem with this name. And Peter again, speaking on behalf of the others as well, says we must obey God rather than men. And what we see ultimately is that they were going, they, they wanted to kill him at this point. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they intended to kill them until one of the Pharisees stands up and says, don't do this, don't kill him. And so they took his advice and in verse 40, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, that is they beat them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then they released them. But what's the result of this? They go on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That was the result. It kept emboldening these men. They got more bold in their proclamation of the gospel. They just got through being beaten for the cause of the gospel. They just got through being arrested for a second time for preaching about Jesus. And after they were beaten and they were released, they walk out and it says every day they kept going out and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is the result of what was happening. Then we move over, if you will, go to chapter 7 of Acts. And now we come to the man by the name of Stephen. If you recall, we spoke about Stephen last week. Stephen was a man that was full of grace, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power. And the hand of God was upon him and he was doing some amazing things and he was able to speak in such a way that the leaders there were unable to cope with his wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they go about inducing men to say there in verse 11 of chapter 6 that we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. So here it is, again, another believer is being persecuted. It's being, they laid his, their hands on him and they're dragging him away. Beloved, this was no gentleness in which they did this. And Peter 
full of the Spirit of God, speaks the truth to them, basically going back to their history and showing in the end what they're doing. They're, in, they're resisting the Spirit of God by not believing in Christ. And when they heard this, if you recall over in verse 54 of chapter 7, they were cut to the quick and they're gnashing their teeth at him. And it says in verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rusted him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen to death. They stoned him to death. But did that stop the church? No. In fact, it's interesting when you read on there in chapter 8, it's on that day that a great persecution began against the church. It began against the church in Jerusalem. And of course, we know who's leading now this charge of persecution against the church is a man by the name of Saul. Saul, who it says there in verse 1 of chapter 8, who was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And it says in verse 3 that he began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Now, we've we've done this a little bit before, but let's just get a, a, a clearer picture of what Saul was doing. If you will, turn over to chapter 9 for a moment. In Acts chapter 9. After Saul had been converted, he's wanting to associate with the disciples, but they're afraid of him. And rightfully so, because when you look down in verse 21, all those hearing him continue to be amazed. And here's what they're saying. Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. This is what Saul was doing. He's going house to house, town to town. He's going out there to destroy those who were calling on the name of Jesus. Go over to chapter 22 for just a moment. Go to Acts chapter 22. And in Acts 22, Paul here is giving his testimony and defense before the Jews. And notice what he says beginning in verse 4, Acts 22 and verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way to the death. I was binding and putting both men and women into prisons. And also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. For them I also received letters to the brethren and started off with Damascus in order to bring even those who are in there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. This is what he's saying I was doing. I was there persecuting them to put them to death. I was binding them. I was putting them both. It didn't matter whether it was men or women. If they were going to name the name of Jesus and say they were followers of Jesus, I wanted them in prison. Look over in chapter 26 for a moment. In chapter 26, here Paul before King Agrippa.
listen to what he says and beginning in verse 9. He says, so then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being fiercely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And he's saying that's what I was engaged in when I was going to Damascus when God saved him. But go back and read that carefully. When it says there in Acts chapter 8 that Saul was there in agreement and he was going around ravaging those who were in the church. You're getting a picture now, a clear picture of what he means by that. This was a man that was enraged towards them. He was furious towards them. And he was going about and he was dragging them out of their homes. And when it says there, beloved, that I punished them often in all the synagogues and I tried to force them to blaspheme, Paul wasn't against torture. Paul just, he hated Christ. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He just wanted to do whatever it is he had to do, inflict whatever pain he had to inflict on them so that they would deny Jesus Christ. This is what was going on in the church when it says a great persecution began against the church. That was the reality of what they were living. But what was the result? Well, go back to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we're told in verse 1 that they scattered. They scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And we're told in verse 4, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And one of those who scattered was the man by the name of Philip. And we've already talked about him as one who went down to Samaria and he begins proclaiming Christ to them. And guess what? Those people in Samaria start getting saved. And the only reason or the main reason why it was Samaria heard the gospel at that time is because God used the persecution against the church to scatter them. And when they scattered, they went about preaching the gospel. As I said... A decent amount of time has gone by since Acts chapter 2 and we get here into Acts chapter 8 and they haven't moved out of the city of Jerusalem yet. They haven't moved. And God moves them. And he moves them out. And as they go out, they're preaching the gospel. Not only that, you think about it. It is Philip who's the one that is snatched away. And we're told over in verse 40, As he's passing through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So he didn't just go down to Samaria. This is a man who, when he scattered, he went about in every city and place that he was going, preaching Jesus, and people were getting saved and coming to know Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. Then you look over in Acts chapter 11. Go over there for a moment. And in Acts chapter 11, we're told in verse 19, referring back to the very incident that we see in Acts 7 and Acts 8, we're told, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, 
They made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and large numbers who believed in him turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch, and he comes and he testifies that the Lord was there, and there are considerable numbers that are being brought to the Lord. Where did all this start? This all started with the great day of persecution led by Saul who was going out and began to ravage the, the church and the people of God dragging them out of their home trying to force them to, to blaspheme the spirit of God and to blaspheme the name of Jesus he was in, imprisoning them beating them having them put to death and this caused them to eventually scatter throughout and God used that to scatter the message of the gospel and now we see the church growing by leaps and bounds This is God using persecution. Stay there, if you will, and go down to Acts chapter 12. Now King Herod gets in on the act. And notice again that phrase in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king, he laid hands on some of them. Some of those who belonged to the church. And he did that for the purpose of mistreating them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And when he had seized him, in verse 4, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison. Beloved, you see again the church being persecuted. And that was the reality of the situation. But there again the result was something that was not intended by Herod. The result was boldness not only for Peter, but for those that were praying for Peter. Because when you read the rest of the story, you see that Peter uh, was released supernaturally by an angel of the Lord who appears there and gets him out of the prison. He comes to the house where the believers are there and they're praying for Peter and he's knocking on the door and they they eventually allow him to come in in verse 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He began to describe to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison and he said, report these things to James and to the brethren which was going to be something to embolden them. Keep on keeping on. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep doing what it is that you're doing. And Peter goes out proclaiming the gospel. But notice something. I want to encourage you sometimes when you're reading through the book of Acts to notice these little summary statements. Verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Persecution against the church by Herod did not stop God from using that to continue to grow and to see the word of God being multiplied. This is what God was doing. This was God's strategy. Now, let's just touch for a moment on... Saul, who we also know to be Paul. 
Because really from here out, beginning in chapter 13, as you move forward, now the, the focus is on the man by the name of Paul. And it really goes to the end of the book of Acts. And really what you see throughout is how God brings persecution against Paul. This was persecution that we could read about back in chapter 9 that was promised to him. When God spoke to Ananias and he told Ananias, don't be afraid to go speak to this man by the name of Saul. He is my servant. I have set him apart. He's going to go and share my name before the Jews and the Gentiles and before kings. And he needs to know what it is to suffer for my namesake. And God promised him that. And if you go back to Acts chapter 9, you will find out it didn't take very long for Paul to understand what it meant to suffer for the cause of Christ to be on the other end of what he used to do. Because just like Stephen, Paul is a man that is full of wisdom and he is is a master at the word of God. And he's increasing in chapter 9 and verse 22 in strength and he's confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But we see the plot became known and he was able to, to get out of town. And notice in verse 29, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews and they were attempting to put him to death. So now we see this man, Paul, who saw at this time, who's been converted. He's now out proclaiming the gospel. He's telling people about Jesus. And the response is one of hatred, one of hostility, so much so that they are wanting to put him to death. And this was really the testimony of his ministry pretty much everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. There was nothing, or not just nothing, but he faced persecution. If you were to go over to Acts chapter 13, when he went to the city in Antioch, he faced persecution. If you go to Acts chapter 14 and verses 1 through 6, you see he faced persecution in Iconium. In verse 19, he faced it in Lystra. In fact, notice something that he says. Go to Acts chapter 14 for a moment. In Acts 14, it says, After they had preached the gospel in verse 21, it says, They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. It's through persecution. Paul makes reference to this over in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 in verses 10 through 13 when he's writing to Timothy. He he says, you remember when I was in Antioch? You remember when I was in Iconium? You remember when I was in Lystra and the persecutions and the suffering that I faced there? Follow my example, Timothy. Be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. Be willing to suffer. When he went to Thessalonica, He faced persecution. When he went to Philippi, you recall, he was thrown in jail. Paul and Silas were thrown in jail there. 
And that's why he reminded them when we were studying in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 29 and 30. He says, you remember the persecution that I faced when I was there. You remember what I went through, the affliction. He faced persecution. In Thessalonica, he faced persecution. In Berea, he faced persecution. In Corinth, he faced persecution. In Greece, he faced persecution. And in fact, when you come down to the closing chapters of the book of Acts, basically what you have, Paul, is a prisoner. He's a prisoner in Jerusalem. He's a prisoner in Caesarea. And ultimately, he's a prisoner when the book closes in Rome. In years. He's now a prisoner for years. Everywhere Paul went, there was persecution. In fact, you could summarize the life and the ministry of Paul in regards to persecution. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul is warning them about some false teachers, some false apostles. And he says, beginning in verse 23, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, Wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. This was the life of Paul. Brother, this is why I'm just going to tell you it makes my blood boil when I hear these folks talking about this health and wealth gospel that they preach. How in the world can they read that and what Paul says and say, Paul, you must have had a problem. Because notice what he says. I had dangers everywhere I went. If I was in the city, I had dangers. If I was out in the wilderness, in the country, I had dangers. If I was on the river, I had dangers. If I was on land, I had danger. It didn't matter where I was. There was danger. I was beaten with rods three times. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Boy, but that's tying a man up and taking the whip that they had and striking him 39 times. Do you know what that does to a person's back? And Paul says, I experienced that five times. you know, Paul knew that. And as you look back on the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul, the ministry of Peter and John, when you look back on the churches as a whole, as we've been reading about here in the book of Acts, what you see is that though all those people that were hostile to the gospel, though they meant what they did for evil, God meant it and used it for good. For good. Because think about this. The good was there were opportunities that were presented to share the gospel. 
How was it? Remember when God saved Saul, who became Paul, and he told him, I'm going to have you go and speak before kings, before governors, before leaders. Well, how is it that God managed that for him? Did he just open up the front door and say, the governor wants to see you, Paul. He just wants to hear about your life and your ministry and how wonderful it is. No, the only reason why he got to stand before King Agrippa, the only reason why he got to stand before governors like Felix and Festus, the only reason why he got to be in Caesar's household and come before Caesar and there share the gospel is because he was a prisoner. That's how God did it. And this is what God was doing through this man. And this is what God opened the door for Peter and John. Look, Peter and John would never have had the opportunity to stand before the Sadducees and this council and speak to them the way they did, except they were imprisoned. God was using this to proclaim the gospel, to spread the gospel. And we see not only that, but we see that people were being saved. Churches and believers were being strengthened in their faith. Just sharing the gospel. And here's why, one of the reasons why I say again, I I think it's important for us to think about this. Because as I said, the way things are moving in our nation, a nation that has been blessed by God, a nation that has been blessed by the grace of God and the goodness of God and the religious freedoms that we have had to be able to gather together and proclaim the gospel and and do the different things that we're able to do in the name of Christ. Beloved, those things are slowly, and actually the, the, the pace is picking up, are shifting. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to look and see some of the tactics that they used in the book of Acts or some of the very same tactics that are being used today to bring persecution against the church. I'm sure some of you may have even seen it this past week where on a TV program some people were mocking and making fun of the vice president of the United States who is a truly born-again Christian making fun of his faith, basically saying he must have a mental illness if he actually wants to do what Jesus says for him to do. And no one there on the program had a problem with that. In fact, they seemed to all be in agreement that you must be mentally ill to actually read the Bible and believe it and then want to go live it. But we have to have a right understanding about persecution so that we can have a right response to it. And we can respond in the way that God would want us to respond and honor him and let God even use that to see people coming to Christ, to see the church strengthened. As I say, in some ways, God will use even the persecution that will come against the church here in America. He will use it to strengthen the church. He will use it to purify the church. He will use it to see more people coming to Christ. And so that's why as we look at it together, we see the reality of the persecution. We saw the results that were here tonight. And I pray that you will be ready for the persecution 
You may even be facing some persecution now. Not necessarily that right now we're going to face the loss of life. But we'll see together next week how it really does, a lot of times when you're reading through the book of Acts, let me just say this, it really does matter what the people think. Because when they knew they stirred up the people and they had the majority of the people on their side, they went after the Christians. And when they didn't have the majority of people on their side, they stepped back. But they used things to help stir it up and they used things to help twist laws and to do things to come against the church and Christians. We'll talk about that next time. I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer for tonight. And as you do, here's what I want you to do.